Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. For more info on my guitars, please visit LiggettGuitars.com. If you like the podcast, toss me a dollar on Patreon, patreon.com slash Luthier's Tale. Every week, I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. Today, I'm speaking with Les Godfrey from Godfrey Guitars. Les builds some wild stuff, bases that resemble classical instruments, carbon fiber necked acoustics, and tons of unique electric guitar models. For more info on Les's guitars, go to godfreeguitars.com. Man, I, I'm really happy that uh, we get to record a podcast together. Oh, it's an it's, it's an honor. Seriously, so, so thank you so much for considering me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know for a long time that you worked at Carl Thompson's shop. Yep. And when I first was like considering, like, well, I wonder if I could build guitars for a living. Uh, I was googling about that, came across the term luthier, and when I would search luthier, one of the first things that would come up was Carl Thompson. Yeah. And his page, and uh, and the re- I guess one of the big things that I came across his stuff was because of Primus and Les Claypool and all that, um, and that association, and uh, and, and yeah, I just uh, there's a lot of things about his instruments that kind of uh, set me down the path, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't make anything near what he makes as far as like uh, aesthetically or anything like that. Um, but in the beginning, like all the things I was drawing were very Carl Thompson esque. Well, I think, uh, I think for a lot of people who got into, uh, you know, including myself, I think it was just seeing the wood, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that just all of a sudden you're like, it takes the, not that I like paint as well, but I think that during that time coming out of the 80s where those very flashy guitars you know neon colors it was a breath of fresh air to see um you know some people rocking these especially in the bass world you know these sort of weird wooden bases like warwick's um you know and then carl yeah. thompson and uh, you know alembic all that kind of stuff you know and but i think carl thompson stuff stood out and it's interesting my name's less and people probably assumed that i had like a, a real intrinsic interest in primus and go with carl thompson but my my interest with his bases goes way beyond even knowing who Primus was, even before I think they were like really like you know really known, you know, like late eighties, mm-hmm. early nineties. But uh, I was really into like Backdoor with Colin Hodgkinson, uh, super into Stanley Clark, super into Al Miola with Anthony Jackson. So um, I was already really aware, well aware of his instruments, and um, so I remember my brother calling me into um, our, our living room one day. And he's like, "Hey, man, you got to check out these crazy cats because he he was he liked that uh, he liked that band a bit." And uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, cool." And I, I see this black and white video of this guy slapping a bass, and I'm like, "Oh, cool, this is rad." And my brother was like, "What kind of bass is that?" And right away, without even knowing, you know, having to really look, I said, "That's that's got to be a crazy Carl Thompson bass." And it was sort yeah. of like right there and then, you know, like I just knew that there was something that. Uh, was in me to want to do something like that because there was a show on tv uh, called furniture to go and i think they changed the name to the furniture guys this guy ed feldman and joe lorario and they had this show where they'd show you how to do furniture restoration it was two wild guys it was like this humorous show but they'd go into weird detail like how to reupholster a chair how to do like a chippendale style uh table and it was this odd show of so much information so 
seeing wow. that vi- yeah seeing that video and then watching probably furniture to go where the furniture guys probably an hour later on you know regular television it was just one of those things where yeah it's an instant fusion of two two things that you're just you know finding yourself totally into so. did you always enjoy making things um yeah sort of but um i always had a hard time seeing things through like if i started like a lego ship you know mm. i would eventually like go by the instructions, but then I'd start just wanting to kind of do my own thing with it. So then I would kind of abandon it and come back to it and just sort of make my own ship. So, yeah. um, and then, um, I like this. I was the same way, by the way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I think, yeah, you know what I mean? I'd almost feel sick as I got towards the end of it. Like I'd almost feel like this, Whoa, I really got to see this through. So, um, to me, like, yeah, the instruments and doing that and recording music and things like that were sort of like my, real introductions into making something that's relatively tangible and realizing, Oh wow. Like you're responsible to every component, like every hi hat hit things start mattering in a way. So, yeah. uh, you're not to get over analytical, but cause I still love the live performance, but at the same time, there's the Glenn Gould and me that says, okay, there's 16 variations of one theme. I have to leave the emotional content out and all 16 have to be viable. And then from there you sort of just start having a, a I don't know if I have it, but a sense of taste, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I kind of, you know, that I abandon a lot more than I, than I, uh, you know, go for. Yeah. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, uh, it's a funny thing, like not seeing things through for the majority of your life and then seeing instruments through, because I feel like instruments are like a, it's like a long journey. Yeah. to to get an instrument done and and there's so many little processes that you have to learn and master within the overall uh, project oh yeah well I said even just last night uh, you know when the when we had abandoned uh, doing the podcast there and I was like okay well this kind of sucks okay well either way I've got a, I've got a, a lot to do. So then I said, okay, I'll go on Instagram. I'll just make sure that I don't get any messages to answer back. And um, the first post that I see is you spraying one of your instruments. And I was just like, yeah, like I said, you're you're in the same boat. Meaning like you you have time for this, but at the same time, you gotta go do what you gotta do. And it's like, so it was just it was awesome seeing like, oh yeah, no, you got you got what you gotta do right in front of you as well. And it's it's that's it's the camaraderie with this kind of stuff like. I really try to say to, uh, you know, a lot of other builders and stuff out there where it's just like we really are in the same boat. So that's why I said that whether people believe in the community of it or not, I'm like, it really is a community thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> so cool how the uh, the Internet's made it a, a real small community. Well, even, even though there's more people building guitars than ever, yeah. um, it's still kind of a, a meritocracy and you kind of see each other's stuff and you're like, Oh cool. That guy's doing some rad stuff, you know? Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all, you know, and, and again, it's all sort of like car building. Like essentially you can mm. put uh, more wheels on the car. You can put tre- treads on the car. You can make it crazy, but essentially you're dealing with something that's got to go forwards and backwards and steer left and right. And uh, so with the guitars and the instruments, like I said, it's amazing that, with as many designs that there are out there, essentially there's strings floating on top of this, this thing. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that thing that's underneath the strings is just what it is. It's uh, it, it has to function, I suppose, on a certain, on a certain level, it has to meet certain expectations, but as music changes, 
um, and that the sounds that even the builders have in their heads, those are the things that sort of guide other sort of tones and sometimes even um, uh, phrasing, you know, uh, how we, one might perceive like a musical passage. So that's what I like about instruments. It's sort of like the players, the players sort of fuel the luthiers or the builders, but the builders at the same time are influencing the players. So it's mm -hmm. uh, that's 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 the fun interplay with it. That's how that's what I like about it the most is that interplay, like he, in terms of like the one to one, like making the thing, making yeah. it tangible and then having someone play on it. You know, those are those are the things that I think, uh, uh, you know, those kind of partnerships and stuff can really go far. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. And sometimes when I pick up a new instrument, it really it really does like make me play something different. Oh yeah. You know, so it, yeah, uh, that, that's always the goal, right? To, to kind of inspire somebody to make something new with the thing that you made. Yeah. And if you have music in your head, like for me, it's, it's constant. So trying to find a, a, a vehicle or whatever, you know, or a medium in which to sort of stick it down. It's sort of like, how do you do it? Like um, one can find themselves a whole orchestra or one can get themselves like, um, you know, um, an electronic uh, device, you know, like, you know, computer programs and stuff to do like string instrument emulation and build up, um, you know, some compositions, classical compositions. But there's no end to that. And there's no end to building instruments. So so one eventually decides to choose like maybe a place to sort of spend their time. So the reason why I kind of like doing the guitars a little bit more than like composing music is um, they're a little more tangible. It's really hard to just sell compositions. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas like guitars, it's something, it's like a thing. It's like a skateboard deck almost in a way, the art on yeah. it. So I like that. I like that aspect of it. It's, it's, it's very, it, it's still very humanoid to me. And uh, I like that the, the results are, well, heck, when you listen to the best guitar players in the world, for me, it's, it's the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, guitar music uh, always kind of dominates my yeah. What, whatever I'm listening to. I, I love listening to pianists. I love listening to like you know like amazing uh, stringed instrument players from all over the world, and uh, it's amazing that without even saying anything, when I hear the best guitar players playing real music, whether it's you know some jazz comping, uh, even uh, you know like Merle Travis and people like that to play like real music, like, you know, three parts at the same time, really trying to get your, you know, a full scope of a piece just through one instrument, man. So I just love how some people can do it. I just, I, I'm fascinated with it. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. I do in my mind's eye and I can do some of it, but um, I said the, I was saying to some other people there the other day, like there's like Olympic level stuff and it's uh, it's no different than like um, someone who's, quite good at running say they did track in, in school for a really long time they go good they have they have knowledge of running they're quite fast but if you were to even put that person in an olympic event like they wouldn't even remotely qualify and and i'm not trying to say this yeah. is a, it's not a competitive thing i'm not coming at that from any sense of like hey i'm faster than you or this is not or uh, but i'm saying it's funny that um when you look at and here's some of these musicians or even other builders uh, it's I try to say to people, like, I just do what I do, but, mm -hmm. you know, but there's Olympic level stuff out there and it's, 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 it's important to understand uh, what motivates you, but it's also important to understand 
and, 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 and realize that there's, there's, I mean, this in the best way. There's freaks out there, like talented oh, yeah. freaks that are so good. I mean, the guitar makers, instrument makers and musicians alike, you know, if we're just sticking to the sort of musical end of things. So yeah. I, and, and people of all crafts, you know, oh, yeah. I follow a lot of jewelers and, and I, st- for some reason, um, people setting, uh, stones oh, like, yeah. is like super interesting to me. I, I don't know why I don't even wear jewelry, but, uh, I enjoy looking at it and watching it. Um, but yeah, it's like anybody that does their thing well, whether they're making a thing or, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a concrete thing. You can hit with a hammer, like a guitar, as you said, you know, it can yeah. be a more ethereal thing, like a piece of music. Yeah. And that's, a, I like in a way that's, um, uh, with all the pros and cons of, uh, you know, internet, social media and things, um, one can be, disillusioned by the illusions of things but at the same time one has to understand that there are things that they're seeing in there that are very genuinely real and tangible um again it's toy maker that i follow uh long story short and the level of work that they do it's beyond anything i've ever seen i mean toy maker like wooden toys or what no no, that they make um like almost like action figures but they're they're spitting images of like say uh keanu reeves or other other actors and i mean they're so crazy that it it, you look it looks like a photograph and i'll send you a link later because it it it's on a level of it's insane it's it is so they're and they're small like they're like dolls you know but you look and you're like okay that is a that is just it's next level like i've never seen anything like it in my life so you're like okay this person just does that and you're looking at it i'm like okay like i don't even i wouldn't even know where to start it could either be um overwhelming to the point where you can't do anything or it's like incredibly inspiring and you've got to choose which path you're going to take yeah and you know um that's what i like i'm not afraid to get into the hammers and nails of it all because eventually you know things are going to get dirty Right. If you want to do some painting, you want to start doing some um, some molds of some stuff or even 3D printing, even mm-hmm. you know, getting a CNC mill and stuff. It gets it's dirty. It's like it's no matter what you do, it's dirty work. And um, to get to that, so they get to that finished product, um, you know, you know, it. a lot of things have to go down for uh, points of addition and points of subtraction to come together. And that level of abandonment is either, hey, this is great or this is not good, so great. Yeah, so I want to ask you about that thing now that you bring it up because this is the thing that like I've had to conquer in myself uh, when it comes to building instruments. I'm sure it's uh, applies to every art form or craft or what have you. Um, but it's the someone at Roberto Vin. I forget who it was. One of the teachers said, "Don't live a lie." He said, if something's not right, you know if it's not right or not. Don't lie to yourself. Yeah. That kind of thing. And that can be really, really hard to do. Yeah. Something you've put so much time into and you make it and then you like stand back and look at it. You're like, man, something, I fucked something up on this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, it's a, why is it lumpy here? Or, you know, it could be anything, but it's like, it's really hard to have a critical eye on your own work. 
Yeah, it is. And um, it, uh, especially if you don't have um, anybody sort of really sort of pushing certain criteria that have to be met. And if you start second guessing that thinking, well, what I know is all that matters, but then you listen to the level that the player plays at and you start listening to what they're really talking about. They might know, they might not know all the technical lingo to it, but it's like a violinist or anything. You realize when they're like, man, this thing just ain't happening. Then you're like, you have to listen to them because it's not, it's, they're telling you, they're saying, look, this is not happening right now. And I'm not, and these are good, good people. So it it could be something that you yourself don't notice off the bat because you're not playing at their level. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only reason why I try and keep my chops up these days to some like just, you know, relatively, you know, decent level of hackdom, but enough that I can get by, but it's just so I, 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 cause I love playing guitar. I love it. So I try to keep on that just so I can stay in touch with certain things that even some modern players and stuff are into. So I, I'm not because I'm not trying to be some sort of, uh, you know, original guitar player who's trying to change guitar playing or anything. I'm just trying to make wild instruments so I can go to those people's shows and be like, yeah, man, listen to them. I want to listen yeah. to them playing on my guitars. <laughs> That's yeah. the only place where my ego is at. I'm like, I got to say that. I would go to a lot more shows probably if they were playing on my guitars <laughs> and I'm just saying it. I probably would. I'd probably be like, it'd be fun to go hear them in the wild, you know, That's and that, that would be a thrill for me. It almost feel like I'm on the stage secretly, you know? And so the, I, I'm just honest about where my passions are and where I feel I could be responsible to things. And uh, I feel I can be relative. I feel I hold responsibility to the instruments that I make. So that's why when I make something, I, I do it with that in mind the whole, while I'm making it. I'm like, okay, well, I have to return to this part again. What happens if the guy says, oh, I need this changed out? Because they will at some point in time because that's what everybody does. So you start kind of getting to this thing where you're like, I want to make a finished piece, but I have to make sure that I can almost reverse engineer every single part of it. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, where, I understand yeah. that. So that's that's the part of it that's the luthery part that I've never once considered myself a luthier. I mean, I used to do high-end repairs like refrets on vintage fenders i was sort of known for that for a while and uh then when i left toronto and started spending more time out here on the farm property you know you just start getting into you know your own not you know not your own thing but you start sort of you know developing your own recipes for your own stew you know (laughs) you're you're in toronto i'm outside of toronto yeah just uh, near kingston yeah i had no idea you uh you were in canada yeah yeah that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. So is it, uh, how, what's the temperature there today? Actually, you know what? It's not too bad. I don't even have the wood stove going. I've sort of, I've had it on and off uh, for the last week, sort of cooling down. But um, that's how I stay warm in wintertime. It gets rare, very cold here. But um, in the wintertime, I just go on wood heat in the shop. So, How does that do uh, for your humidity? Well, it's actually quite nice because um, when I bring all the wood in, it's not that it's wet, but um, with that, as well as I boil water pretty much in the shop on the wood stove all day and all night. Mm-hmm. So uh, the shop is actually really climatized in wintertime. It's actually, um, I got some lacquering to do soon. It's cooling down, but I'm going to do it like keeping the shop warm and vent into the back room that, uh, probably this year. So I'll be able to go a little bit later with the uh, with the lacquering. But um, yeah, wintertime is probably my favorite time to work in here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, somehow just the glue ups and everything just things just go nicely. And, uh, and again, you know, when you're shooting lacquer and you want things to sort of dry uh, faster, 
um, you know, I, uh, I like that, uh, there's something about the, the wood stove heat that just, yeah, it gets it nice and, you know, smelling right even, you know? Oh yeah. I <laughs> you know what I mean? The there's a certain, stove. yeah, yeah. It's like just, yeah. So, um, so it's, it's been, it's, it's been going well that I, I, I put this in long story short, but I put this in, um, with my dad in like 2014, I think. And, uh, it's been awesome. So it's That's a lot great. of work to cut wood all year, but, you know, split it and stuff, but, uh, it's worth it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of, um, with your, um, with your studies and stuff, what, with, uh, did you study at, um, Roberto, Roberto Van at the school as well? I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I awesome. went in 2012. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I went in, um, it was the, yes, yeah, su- summer, spring class of 2012. It was about, uh, 35 to 40 students at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they had just moved into their new, new facility. And, uh, and so it was really nice and it was, they had swamp coolers in, which I guess previously they didn't have that. Uh, Roberto Vin is in the middle of Arizona. So yeah. Yeah. Obviously very hot. Um, but yeah, it, it was, um, it was a really cool experience for, for me. I think I was 23 or 22 and I, I just really had the college experience that I never had. You know, everyone was there studying the same thing, and we were all super into it and enthusiastic. Yeah, and, That's yeah. the stuff. Yeah, and I said I, I know I know several people who have attended that, and uh, and uh, you know they're just as yourself, just uh, doing exemplary work and uh, an original work, and um, it's uh, yeah, it help it helps to have someone really kind of show you, eh? Like I said, I mean, every, people think, oh, you do this on your own. I'm like, no, it, it's a very it's a very symbiotic thing. Um, you know, it's a it takes a lot. It takes a lot to. It, take, it takes several vendors at least, and several people to make a guitar happen. And oh uh, yeah, and and it usually takes several teachers and some people showing you quite a few things to, to um, you know, get get your mind around uh, the the concept of a stringed instrument. Yeah, I I asked someone uh, a luthier locally if if I if he thought that was a good idea to go there. Because I was kind of on the fence. I was like, you know, maybe I can just figure all this stuff out. I got the internet, you know. And he said, you know, I kind of wish I had done something like this because I think it probably would have saved me at least five years of trial and error. Oh, yeah. And I would say that's that's probably accurate. And, and depending on if you can find a job, if there's no luthier jobs around you where you can learn, yeah. then I would say it might be more like, uh, eight to ten years of, of oh, a crash yeah. course. Yeah, I mean, especially if um, you know you're not someone who's really willing to like make a lot of mistakes in a single day, um, mm. you know, and, and then just quit the next day. Um, it, it's a it's a hard thing that way, you know. Especially if you're you know you're sort of formally self teaching yourself things. I mean, you know, what I mean, starting to learn on I mean, as a table router, for instance, you start learning about oh, okay, spindle speed, what's the diameter yeah. of the bit, oh, the grain tear out, okay, step stepping with you know like step routing but then you're like well step routing is really risky though so what do i do now so you start getting to all these crazy things and um it's it's sort of like there's a lot of alternatives but a lot of people don't look at those they sort of look at the the machines that everybody else uses and sometimes those pose a threat to your one's uh, health you know and uh, <laughs> yeah. so um i i hate hand routers 
yeah, it, this terrible stuff. And that's what I mean. So some, I mean, not to say anything, some people think I've got a beef with CNC machines. I'm like, are you crazy? Not in the least. <laughs> I just try and say that for me. And I've used CNC machines before. I have a CNC machine. Not, I don't even have it operating. I probably will never make use it again. It's not, it's not that like, I just don't need it. I don't, I don't require it. It's yeah. not that it, that's all it's like, but it's no different. I, I use power tools though. It's the same thing. So people are like, Oh, this and that. I'm like, man, if, if you don't want to hand carve a neck and you've got a pattern that you like, I'm, all right. I'm going to totally use a CNC machine to do those 12 necks. Maybe I'll just use it to use the one neck while I'm doing some, do the one neck while I'm doing something else. Time saver is doing another operation while you're doing something. It's basically right. an employee. So I just yeah. try to say to people, anybody who thinks I've got a beef with it, no. All I try to say is when I can see that certain people's designs limitations are the tool paths of a very simple CNC program or modeling program, and you uh, have and you and you have this thing called a CNC machine, I'm like, man, maybe spend an extra month and just make some crazy shit on that thing. Like, make some crazy ass shit on that CNC. Make the shit that I can't do. Like, because yeah. it's like other than that, I'm like, you know, like. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, it's a weird way to look at it. And I'm not saying there's any, there's no right or wrong who gives a crap. Right. But it's uh it's just an interesting thing where I will say where I've seen where certain individuals who are doing certain styles of guitars, a certain type of guitars, I could see where maybe going that path is limiting, limiting their, um, their evolution. Uh, you know what I mean? They have got one yeah. program. They don't really know it's limited. Uh, maybe they got a friend to do it for them. So now they're making guitars and you can see now it's like, there isn't going to be a lot of evolution here, even though you have all this technology at your disposal. It's sort of like, sometimes I look at it. It's like, these are these like one shot deals. So that's, I mean, I, I think that I can tell when someone is very, very good as a builder and designer, and now they've used 3d modeling and their CNC to augment the vision they have in their head. And that's what I, that's, that's where I love a CNC machine. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, that, just meaning because now you can reproduce that vision. You know what I mean? You're not using it. You're not as an, you're not using it as an excuse to say, well, I was too afraid to learn woodworking because yeah. that means or, that person. It's a, it's a crutch. You know, you don't want it yeah, to be a crutch. That's, that's all I'm saying. It's like the, in the end, if you're, if you're using wood and you have to join a lot of wood or you're doing that, it's like, you know, there's, there has to be that knowledge of wood, specific gravity, um, you know, dimensional stability, um, stiffness first weight. Those are all the things that come into an instrument feeling good or not feeling good. And whether you want you want to call it a tone wood or not, that really has nothing to do with it. To me, it's just buoyancy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it really yeah, is. That's, just, a, that's a good way to describe it. It's just like, you know, is this thing, am I going to want to play on this thing or not? And it's amazing that some people will say, well, that doesn't affect the sound of something. But I'm like, when you play shows for years on end and stuff like that, you want some people want the neck to telegraph and some people don't want the neck to telegraph. And I'm like, when you've got bass amps pumping on a stage and you've got your, you know, your high watt crushing through your guitar, it turns into a sponge. But it also yes. turns into so. So I'm like, some people like to feel the neck taking on the vibrations. It almost tells them what they're doing, but at the same time, it robs them of certain tones because it's canceling notes out of the neck. I mean, I've had full chords just disappear in the middle of the night <laughs> from the bass yeah. amp slaying my. So, so there's certain things that certain people want. So it's like rigidity and buoyancy. Like it's almost like that. It's almost like you're swimming in water. And uh, your guitar has to have a specific gravity or buoyancy. And uh, I find that people are really in tune with that, especially people who don't know 
are the ones that know. They're the ones, this guitar sucks. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. man, they just say it. And you're just like, they don't know what they're saying. This meathead doesn't know what they're saying. But at the same time, I'm like, they know everything because they're not so biased. Yeah. This is something I've discussed with a couple people now. Um, like like the, the whole thing of responsive guitars. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of like what I'm chasing after, like the most responsive guitar I can make. But... I, I do, that's with the caveat that it's not for, you know, a, a stage, on stage behind like three full stacks or something. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, that's not the application for it. This is like, yeah. this is like a super sensitive, um, you know, bedroom volume instrument. And, and that's like, there, there are two different things and you got to build for the, the application yeah. for sure. You know, you know who's it? I think who's done a good job at um, sort of, you know, again, I'm not like a mega fan, but I'm, I'm, I'm totally, he has my total respect, like massively, but I just, I, I don't know a lot of their catalog, but Mark Knopfler, just because with the strat, he's one of the few people who I think who gets a sound out of a strat where it's identifiable. It, he uses the sort of weaknesses of that guitar and exploits yeah. them. And this at the same time, true. he could play it at a volume that was high enough that's loud, but you could hear all the little stuff with his fingers and stuff. And I know there's way other there's other players that have done it to a greater extent, but the, th the thing that's interesting now is that with um, stage volumes being much lower, but audience volumes being louder, it's nice mm. that almost now one can use almost a bedroom guitar as we were described, like you know, electric parlor sort of like the ones that are a lot more sensitive to uh, feedback and, and finger noise and that kind of thing. But all of a sudden now you could probably play one of those on a bigger stage and get those sounds. And the audience might be able to actually even really feel that they're getting those sensitivities just louder. So there's, huh. I think there's a lot of interplay now that can happen. And it's, it's exciting to, to be able to say that, okay, we're playing like even say if it was a rock show, but when the noise dips down, wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't just an electric guitar with just a sort of a clean setting? Wouldn't it be nice if it was like, again, like a, a Wandre style guitar or something that just sounds totally fucking wicked when it's clean? And it's there's so anyway, so there's those I think there's those aspects to things that are exciting. But I, I think Knopfler's style kind of lends itself to uh, um, I feel like a, a sensitive guitar would be good for um, for that finger picking. Yeah kind of style you know yeah because that's so feel oriented yeah and and you pick up on all those little nuances you know the things that some people try to hide are the things that uh you know the things i often listen for <laughs> like you know the best the best stuff even for, for me for eddie van halen even for that thing is like even the songs like panama where it quiets up and you can hear like is that just that that sound of it cleaning up and you can hear the finger noise. You can hear the little bumps. And it, that, that was for me, that's what made me want to get into playing guitar was that, that particular kind of sound and feel and stuff. It was like the loud screaming stuff was great, but I love when it chilled back a little bit and you could hear the room and it just, I, I was a full, yeah, to me, it just, that's what keeps me going with stuff. So to me, it's that fine, fine balance between a guitar that you can play loud and uh, having uh, enough character to it so you can sing through it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah get the vocables. You, gotta get, you have to get the vowels in there. And uh, <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like it has to be able to do those things. So 
it's a, it, a lot of people think it's kind of easy, but it's, it's really not. No, <laughs> like, no it, it, really it, it, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, a, it, there's, there's certain parts of it that often even people will think that one's taking it for granted, but I'm like, well, it's one thing trying to just, um, use something that works and then uh, from there maybe adapt it right so that's it's not really taking it for granted it's just saying well i gotta say that you know for the last little while the tunematic bridges do work pretty well (laughs) (laughs) so i might be able to do something a little different with them but sometimes you know there's a certain things that i that work for what you kind of want it to do you know and then other times you're just like no this won't do i need something completely different for many reasons so I just, uh, yeah, I just think that it's just uh, having having fun trying to balance out all the components, you know. Oh, let me ask you this uh, before I forget. Um, so, how did you how did you come to get acquainted with Carl Thompson, and how did you get to work for him? Okay, well, um, I was again, I was working at an animation studio. Um, oh really? Doing, yeah, I was doing this. Uh, my, my dad's an animator. My brother's an animator. My brother's my brother's like a crazy. He's he's an animator, artist, uh, amazing, amazing woodworker, furniture maker, and all kinds of stuff. But they're just wild guys. They're awesome guys. The best. How do you yeah. not have like cartoon ads for your guitars? Well, you know, I probably could. My dad actually used to do like ads for like um, Hostess Munchies and like uh, Rice Krispies. He used to do all the characters. He'd come home and like you see him on his animation desk doing like. Like, you know, like a hundred drawings a night or more and flipping the drawings up in the air and looking at them and bringing them to work the next day. The old school way, Oh, it was all classical animation then. Yeah, painting cells. I mean, we used to come home and I remember back in the day, we used to do like, I'd be like Xeroxing like, um, you know, clear, clear cells, you know, and then bring them to a a color room, you know what I mean? So, and uh, getting all kinds of, I I did work, he worked on a movie called Rock and Rule. This like, kind of like almost like heavy metal movie. And uh, it was a a funny time just to, seeing his commercials and stuff on TV, like I'd come home from school and I'd look at all the drawings my dad was doing for the last like half a year. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, there's, there's the little rice crispy guys running across the screen, you know? And, and, wow. Uh, that's very cool. Yeah. So, oh, but anyway, um, anyway, so I was working at this animation studio and, uh, I was already aware of, um, I got super into Jaco Pastorius. Like, um, I it just, he, that changed my life. You know, I was, I, overnight I was just like, wow love Jacko Pastorius and Joni Mitchell and that those are albums with you know it's the weather report stuff and things and so um I was like that's it man I really want to learn how to play bass I've been playing guitar for a while and I was like I really want to get into playing some bass so um I you know you start looking at basses you know and so I was aware of Carl Thompson of course and um a guy at the who was working uh, doing some freelance work um at that studio his name was Vicky and his last name was Ponoff and uh, I had big, big, crazy hair, like really awesome. Like I, I said to my buddies there a little while ago, um, sort of sideshow Bob hair and uh, really eccentric kind of guy. And he had this box of exotic wood, like like Wenge, uh, Paduk, um, all kinds of stuff in it. Oh, wow. And, and I was like, what's that? And he's just like, it's, it's, he named the wood. And I was kind of familiar with some of them from knowing like a bit about Warwick bases. And he's like, I'm going to make myself a Warwick style base. And I was just like, what? And right there, it was right there. And then that was the turning point. Like it was building in me, but that was it. I was like, I was going to do that. Yeah, truly. So that was just it. I was like, I'm going to try to do this too, man. <laughs> Gotta be honest. So I was all, I just, it just got instantly was just, it, 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 it was like one of the best days of my life. Cause I just, I knew that that was something that I, I had the aptitude to want to do, to do. 
So, That's great. Yeah. So I was like, I got to get this. So my first one was just terrible. It's the, <laughs> it's the worst thing in the universe. So no, really, it's the, I think it's worse than anybody's first guitar or first bass attempt. So I, I, I always really, really suck at stuff. And not that I'm that good, but um, I, I, I'm slow to get. I'm slow to get it. And then once I get it, I'm like, I'm pretty good to sort of evolving with something, with something I'm passionate about. But I'm like with boxing, um, with um, skateboarding, BMX biking, I got pretty good at all those things for relatively speaking, but it's, it, I just would suck so bad for the longest Like Everybody would be so much better than me for like, everybody would eclipse me and then I just keep at it. <laughs> so that's yeah. just <laughs> war of attrition. Yeah, I just, I just, I, 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 yeah, I just, I've got, it's not, it's, it's competition with myself though. It's not competition with anybody else. Like there's no, I have no sense of that. So sometimes people will say, well, sometimes you say your instruments are the best. I'm like, it's no different than someone with a hot dog stand or a pizza place with a sign up that says best pizza in town. It's just self-promotion. Who else is going to do it for me? So it's just like, it's, yeah, it's a funny thing where people think they don't really get that. It's okay for it's okay for musicians to say we're the best band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, so if I'm saying my guitars are the best, I'm not saying they're the best. Like it's like, it's ridiculous. I'm saying they're the best though. Like, no, no. <laughs> but, but they, but they're the best. Cause no, I no, but, the best. no, yeah. but do you understand what I mean? I'm doing the yes. best. I'm doing the best work that I can. And I think that if we were all in the same room, we'd all be able to say, Hey man, your guitar is the best. And I will say, Hey man, your guitar is the best. It's not that it's the best. We'll just be like, these are fucking some good guitars. We all make very, very good guitars. So when you say, man, I make the best guitars, I'm going to be like, Ben, you make the best fucking guitars. This is the way. So so it's a funny thing that way. It's no different than I'm going to go to my buddy's pizza place and I'm going to be like, man, you, Joe, you make the best fucking pizza. And he's like, I'm just, I just say I make the best pizza. Cause you know, I make good pizza. It's like, it's yeah. And I make the best pizza as well. Wow. So that's all it is. Yeah. So, yeah, so if anyone sees me talking about how great I am and that my guitars are the best, just know that I'm, you know, I, I'm not being a, a dick or I'm not full of myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'll have to try that. Cause, yeah. cause I do, I really do feel like a, like a, um, a real need to be incredibly uh, humble and not s- smell my own shit too much. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, uh, it's a good thing not to, but at the same time, it's uh it's funny to put it out there in, in satire and people will think that <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, and people will think that you're really being fucking serious. And so it's, it's an interesting thing like that in life with just making art and just saying, look, like we all, we all do this because, it's a choice. Like it's, there's other things that we can do, but there's a sense of, there's a sense of, uh, of doing this for the sake of it. You know, that's all it is. So it's, it's, it's funny just, um, balancing it out with all the other things that are out there and just saying, yeah, in the end, we all put frets and necks, we all put strings on it and they're all glorified aircraft carriers for strings. Yeah. Yeah. That's like there's nothing there's nothing i could say that it's it's better than anything but i can say it's the best and it's a hard way to put it and it's like um when i say i think any craftsperson should always at least try to do their very best that yeah that's what it is it's the that's when someone says it's the best i'm like where else can you use that term what does it apply to and they'll be like what do you mean i'm like it's it's like the word love it's uh it it means what it means it means nothing and it means everything. So it's, yeah. that's all it is. So I say in this time and place, if you were to put what you're doing 
or if you were to put even a modern violin makers, the best violin makers, a violin next to the best of the old times, it systematically destroys them. Like the, it does. So I'm trying to say is if you get TJ Thompson to make a really, really awesome Martin style guitar and he puts all of his, uh, all of his amazing knowledge into it, he's going to make a guitar that maybe almost better than any vintage counterpart. So the people that really know already know yeah. what makes those Winstons tick. Well, here's the difference though. The ones that really know, know how to do it consistently because they already know what the old ones, about 12% of them are really good. The, so, that's so they, what I've heard. So, I heard there's a lot of dogs. Oh, there's way, the there's way, dogs. there's way more dogs in the vintage thing than there are ones that are playable or even good. And that includes the fifties Les Pauls. There's some of them that are so terrible that you would like, man, I would not, I wouldn't want to even pay $10,000 for that vintage thing because it's not, it doesn't do what Paul Kossoff's does. It doesn't even remotely do what Peter Green's does. It, it's, it's unplayable. So you're like, okay, I already, so there's ones that just work and there's ones that don't work. The thing is the guys that are doing it now understand the ones that made the ones work really well and they can consistently do that. So yeah, that's what and, I'm, and, so that's yeah, what I'm, consistency is very important. That's, so that's what I was trying to say about what's the best. It's just like, yeah, you're trying to tell me right now that, you know, um, you know, um, I, I'm trying to say right now is you're trying to tell me right now that the guitars you make are not more consistent than what Fender made in the fifties, that you're not capable of it. You are very, very capable of making guitars that are far more consistent and far more durable and um, rever probably even reverse engineerable on your, from your end than ones from the 50s. Someone could say, well, this one from the 50s is the best because maybe it does it for them, right? Right. But right. if one wanted to really break it down and say all the variables and really give one of your guitars a chance where you've really kind of gone into what you feel really makes the really good ones from the past work well, and you say, well, call, here's, my, here's my abstract T, Someone might actually go, well, okay, wow, this thing's blowing my mind. It's like, well, yeah, because I, I, you know, so that's all I mean about what's, what's the best and when I, it's the wrong term for, but what's, uh, what's, uh, what's excellence, what's striving for excellence. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's the difference with what a lot of modern builders have to bring to the table in wake of the, um, the still the relic vintage market craze. Yeah. What do you think about all that? Um, Paganini played on um, a copy of his, uh, you know, uh, Guarneri and played on copies of his of Strads, you know, made by volume and other uh, French makers and other Italian makers that were really good at doing reproduction instruments. So with that, the trend had already started. It's like, okay, I have an instrument that's already worth the price of two homes, a Strad. It's probably what, about 100 years old by now or 150 years old. And then, you know, I've already gotten a new neck made for it because Paganini sort of re redeveloped what a violin is, you know, with lighter strings, steel strings and changed it. So all of a sudden he's got these violins that he doesn't want to really bastardize, but he wants them to look like the old ones because that's the trend. So this is already something that's happening in the 1800s. So then you get people that are specializing in making instruments that are as good or better than the originals. And these are instruments that are already 150 years old. So but look and feel like the original. Yeah. So it's like, so all of a sudden Paganini favored these instruments saying that not only because he felt a little more, didn't feel as, uh, didn't have to be as careful with them on, during his long tours in a carriage, you know, horse and carriage. So he'd say like, he'd bring them because they had, but they eventually had more value to him because he felt they sounded better because these makers already knew what made the older ones 
that the good ones of the older ones really, really work. So it's so with people who are doing relic instruments now, I think the difference is like, say someone like Carson Hess, he's going to make you something that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between it and your vintage one. It's that good. I mean, yeah. if you, you know, if you got, you know, Norm Harris, like what year is this? And then he's looking at it for a bit. He's like, wait a second. What? I'm like, that means like you, you're, you're making something that's, that's really good. And it, so if you just, I think if you're making a living though, making instruments that aren't so good, but beating them up because people think that somehow that makes an instrument cool. To me, it's like selling a shit car that's beat up. It's like, who wants yeah. to, who wants a shit car, but who wants one that's even more beat up? Like at least give me a shit car that's nice and clean. You know, so so that's the weird. Have you seen Nacho guitars? Uh, I think I've heard of them. So Nacho, it's like he makes the Nacho caster, and they are like the the relic jobs they do are they're like almost museum quality recreations that they look so good. Yeah, like it's freaky. Um, but yeah, you see that, and then like. Yeah, and I've relicked a couple of bodies before, and they certainly didn't look like they were fifty years old. It was more like a uh, uh, like a tramp stamp tattoo. Yeah, well, it's just <laughs> dressing it's just, up an instrument, but it's just, it's an odd thing though. And I'm not trying to say because instruments typically are known for doing that. Violins are known for just you hold on to the instrument because it's an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly, people with cars do the same thing. It's like you know, you let your car kind of run down, you get rust spots on, you stop caring about it, right? But it's very, it's very, it's very odd. It's very rare that that car becomes an object of desire, where it's, yeah. it's strange that the instrument becomes an object of desire. Where it's, it's interesting that just that's just not just incidental part of application, but the fact that that actual visual or aesthetic becomes part of the allure is interesting, which I identify with because let's face it, an old Les Paul looks wicked. There's something about it. Yeah, but, yeah, I love the crackle. It's hard. It's it's a weird thing Checking. because it's it's very it's pleasing. There's something about it, and again, it's, yeah. it's 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 nature, it's nature breaking down like the way it does in autumn time. There's a beauty to it, and yeah. nitrocellulose breaking down, colors fading. There's something, there's something very natural and humbling about it. So it's so like I said the people who really bring it to high art and and can relic it and make it so. They make you an instrument that makes you feel like you're really playing the one that you own, but it's worth. $70,000 and you don't want to bring it on the road, then all of a sudden it's like, I think that there's art there, but that's just my bias with it. You know, that makes but, sense. Cause it's, I, I didn't know the story about Paganini too. That's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. And, and him and him and dragon Eddie, um, you know, who was basically the Paganini of upright bass, the first rock star of upright bass, so to speak. Um, they were, they were just both monumental and the transculturation of instruments, like bringing Italian instruments to England and really getting them, um, I, like sort of, back in style you know but it's just amazing to think like 50 years after Stradivari's death like us one of his violins was worth the price of a home so it's like this this is that i try to say about you know supply and demand versus just you know being original and that's not saying about even fender guitars as much as people want to say well you know god why are they so expensive for vintage ones or whatever it's just one of those things where it's like well it's because when it came out is very original and for what it was so it's like those are the things that you know, typically stay in the public and stay in um, uh, musician circles that are very reluctant to change for many, many, many years. <laughs> like, look yeah. at the look how long the violin's been around for. Anybody who tries to change it doesn't make a living. 
Yeah, yeah, there's no... Uh... <laughs> you will not make a living making violins if they do not look like violins. Yeah, you, you, are you, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Michi Matsuda. Oh, totally, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I asked a, a friend of mine, I was like, who's like the Michi Matsuda of the violin world? And he's like, there, there is no one. <laughs> no, no, there's only one guy that I know, and uh, Nathaniel Rowan. And he was doing these amazing art. They're, they totally inspired me. And if you saw his violins, I think you might even be like, ah, you know, I see where you rip some of your shit off. Because <laughs> 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 they're so wicked. And um, But again, same thing. He, he, I wrote to him. We used to write back and forth many, many years back. And it was the same thing. He was just like, um, you know, like good life. I'm in New York. I've got a shop. Like I'm, you know, I'm set up and everything, but you know, I don't make money making these at all. No one buys these. A few people do, but he's like, you know, I, I'm, I have to make strads all day. You yeah. Know? And, uh, um, another really talented violin maker I used to hang out with quite often, uh, Masa Nakuchi, and he's in Toronto and, uh, he's one of the best violin makers and he, he's known for making some cornerless models and they're beautiful, right? Even upright bases without the corners on them, you know? And like just the world class instruments, like craziest stuff. And he, he just say it though. He's like, I love them, and I, I finally get a sound. There's a sound that I like out of them, but I, I would never be able to make a living making these. I have to make vial like ones that look just like this. Yeah. And I was like, ah. So it's like it's not easy. I mean, I know like right now I could probably just make strats and relic them, and I'd probably be in business. But uh, it's not what I want to do because it's just. Not- when you, you mentioned Dragonetti, and you have a, a model called the Dragonetti, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I used to, I, I like upright bases, and uh, I wanted to make upright bases for a long time. And uh, so in a trade, I got a really good upright base, a really, really nice one. Well, you know, around a $14,000, $18,000 upright base. And wow. um, I started playing on it every day, and then I got a bow. And then I started saying, okay, well, what can you do with this thing? Because it's kind of felt good. So then I started trying to learn the Dragon 80 Concertos on the, the upright bass uh, pieces. And they're sort of like very difficult in terms of you have to play parts with full harmonics. And they're like Paganini caprices of upright bass. And then, okay. so then when I started getting into wanting to make some electric guitars and electric basses, mainly just wanted, electric basses was the only reason, main reason for wanting to get into building stuff. Um, right away when I was... I wanted something that was violin theme for sure. And uh, so when I started drawing stuff, I wasn't getting ideas. And, um, that was definitely just the name that just came to me. You know, just like, just call it a Dragon Eddie bass. To me, it looked like something he would play if uh, he played electric bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the audience, it's the top is like kind of carved and it's very much like reminiscent of, uh, of a violin or, yeah. a, or like a classical instrument. Yeah, yeah, just having fun with uh, certain motivations and just that's all. That's sort of like my main thing. I just like seeing a shape and then ex- yeah. exploiting it. Yeah. How are the how are those scrolls to do? Uh, I wouldn't even know how to begin on one of those. Oh, they're not hard. Uh, they're, they're, I just I got a, a book on violin making and I just sort of looked at sort of like the general sort of like how they would do it. And then from there, I was like, okay, that's kind of what I had in my mind's eye because sometimes I just get clay and uh, sculpt something really fast just to get a visual. And once I get a visual, I, I kind of can deduct what I want to do. And that's then a good um, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, doing, doing little shapes just right in front of even quick with plaster scene. I find it, it, it just gets a lot 
a lot of elevation and shadow worked out, you know, just mm. it's, it's quick and dirty. And it's just, there it is. It's like, okay, yeah, I see that how much wood reduction I'd have to do. Cause typically with woodworking sort of play it safe. Whereas when you want to start fosterizing, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I, I have to actually go a full quarter inch deeper, like a full quarter inch to really get the, so it's interesting the, um, the interplay you can get with the light and shadow on a, on an instrument. So, um, like with carving and things like that. Or something. Do you like put the clay on the instrument? Uh, sometimes I do. And sometimes I just get like a, a piece of plywood and kind of, uh, you know, or like the template of the instrument. Sometimes if I'm working from a template, I'll just get like an eighth inch thick piece of plywood and uh, just cut it to the shape. And then uh, I'll just load, uh, you know, some modeling clay or something on top of it and just uh, work it like that. Just like making like a, um, a scale car. You know what you're giving me an idea for is, uh, I think I'm going to sculpt a carved top. I'm, I'm going to sculpt carved top uh, bodies in with clay yeah. on top, and then scan it, yeah. and then have my CNC cut it. <laughs> that's 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 honestly truly a hundred percent what I was saying. What people should be doing with CNCs. Like I was like, if you've got a CNC machine, do you know the potential of that? Like it's just, it's like it's almost with someone with a cell phone who's just playing pac-man on her cell phone oh, and they're complaining yeah, and, like, and, they're, and they're complaining that they don't have a recording career i'm like do you realize on your cell that, that i i don't have an iphone so someone i know with an iphone i'm like do you realize with an iphone you can just record a whole electronic record in two nights and probably make oh, money i was like i'm just so being, easy i'm like i'm the telling you so garage band on the iphone is like nuts right yeah, now you can record a full metal record on there if you want so i just trying to say to some people i'm like just know what's what you that power of that thing that you have in front of you so i was just like if you're complaining that you've got nothing to do or you're complaining that man i don't know what it was like you're playing pac-man on a fully loaded iphone <laughs> yeah yeah every generation of humans before us would would kill for this power yeah yeah exactly so it's one of those things so with 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 the clay and with being able to just get quick and dirty shapes it's yeah. amazing how intuitive and human it becomes it's like you're not even dealing with and another thing I like, it's in real time and space because you design on a computer screen. It never works out in real life, especially, well, to me, at least. Yeah, it speaking, doesn't. It, Try- it, yeah, the shapes, a bridge, maybe some tuning gears, maybe, maybe sure. a pickup ring. Sure. But um, a blob. Nope. It's like there's always these huge points of reduction. Even when I see it, this looks so perfect on the screen. I'm like drooling. I'm like, this is it. Somehow, like comes back and I'm like, man, ah, like crap now i can't do anything i've got a fully finished freaking body all carved i'm like nah so i find that all of a sudden i'm just that's what i mean just grab grab a blob of clay and just like yeah make the shape that you want and you know it like you know right away that's it yeah Yeah. Uh, you know what's cool too is like um you know scanning a 3d shape used to be really really expensive and now I just saw an ad scrolling through Instagram for a program you can download for your iPhone and you just take video of an object, kind of just like go around it and it, it instantly maps it. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's like, it's like, what are we, what are we doing? You know what I mean? It's like, we have so many tools at our disposal. It's insane. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like that one, if one wants to limit themselves to see, for instance, there's certain designs where I, I literally, no matter how you put it my way, I just want it to be a slab. 
Like I just want it to be a flat slab. Like I don't want it to be, I don't want it to anything more to it. Like there's a guitar, a design I have called a trilogy. It's just basically two triangles coming together. Yeah. It deliberately wanted to look as primitive as possible. Like so almost cheap looking, but so deceivingly clean. You know what I mean? There's almost nothing on it. It's just two crappy triangles coming together, but they're seamless. Like that's it. That's the whole. So there's basically a one color neck sticking out of one black triangle, sticking out of a red triangle, like a fiesta red triangle. That's almost all I want you to see on it. Maybe a bridge, you know? So with certain things like that, it's like, yeah, that's the limitations of the design. That's where I wanted to stand. But then it's one of those things where it's like, that's what someone said to me, making dragon eddies by hand. Are you crazy? They're like, just... (laughs) Just carve, do one of your clay ones and just, just 3D scan it, man. You could be pumping those things out. I'm like, believe me, at some point in time, maybe by the time I'm by the time I'm 50, if some people are still saying we want to get some of those, that's definitely what I'll be doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it'd be ridiculous to sit there and say that I'm going to make any money, and I'm not even talking from a money like a capitalist standpoint. I mean, the kind of money that gets uh, food on the table. It's like there's no there's no way someone's going to pay how many hours it took to make um, one of those bases. Right. It just won't, it won't equate. It won't in this day and age, it will not equate to being able to survive. I don't care how good you are at woodworking. It won't happen. So that's what I was saying about augmenting things. It's like, we all have to be sensible about what it is we can produce, be responsible to. And at the mm-hmm. same time, actually make, you know, some living off of it because it's, you're not making a living off it. Well, then your business is going to shut down and you're not going to make guitars. anymore. (laughs) So it's, it's a, it's a strange way to look at it, but it's like, so um, it's nice to make things that are doable. They don't all have to be um, next level, like change the whole landscape of guitars. Sometimes it's nice to work within a medium. That's just like, I'm going to try and do some, make some good guitars this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's people that have been doing it for 50 years, and they've made the same three or four models. Yep. And I mean, they've got to get in, incrementally better over time, I would think. Yeah, yeah. You, you and, know, and with each one that they make. As much as people might want to say, well, even like hey, PRS, Paul Reed Smith doesn't make guitars as good as they used to and all this kind of stuff, right? Well, I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect any of Paul Reed Smith's work or anything like that, but it's like if you look at the original ones, especially the ones from the 70s and early 80s, like, they're cool, but by today's production standards, like, they look pretty lumpy and barely passable, right? Yeah. Like, they wouldn't, if you saw one in a store next to a brand new one, you would think that that was made, that was a, a someone, a be, not a beginner, but like a, a copy of one that someone did who was like pretty new at making guitars. So, and so it's yeah. still a good guitar, but I mean, come on, like the the ones yeah, the, the they're ones... high end stuff they're producing now is is uh, is some of them are like truly breathtaking. They are, and I'm not trying to say I'm into all the construction still because there's still the limitations of some things that they haven't changed. So it's still a, it's still a glorified version of the the main guitar. But that being said, I'm not disrespecting them at all. It's like good luck to a handmaker making that. Yeah, you will yeah. not be able to. I mean, you'll be able to get maybe close if you're really good, but just the finish alone, CNC sprayed finish and stuff, like the mill thickness is perfect. It's like it's one of those things where it's like, I got skills. I don't got those kinds of skills, you know. Yeah, like, and I mean, I can produce a guitar that sounds as good. I'm sure I can produce a guitar that that looks as good in its own way. But if someone said to me right now, "Can you make me a Paul Reed Smith private stock that looks like this?" I'm like, I'm incapable of making that. 
<laughs> meaning I'm capable of doing certain parts of it. But if you were to make me from start to finish, say, can you make me that? It's like, no, like the, the finish on it alone is done by a finish expert. Like it's, so that's, I mean, about being realistic about, as I was saying, not to use this term again, the best, we all try and do the best with what we have resourcefulness and trying to make good instruments, very good instruments. That being said, remember what I was saying before, there's, then there's Olympic level, right? So yeah. when I say the best, I'm like, it's just like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really good hot dog stand. <laughs> no, but I'm like, have you been, have you, have you tried this thing? You know, the, yeah, there's next, isn't that like, have like, you been yeah. to the Godfrey hot, hot dog stand? Oh, well, I don't know about that, but uh, I make pretty good, uh, I make pretty good uh, pizza. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I like having fun uh, doing this. And to me, it's absolutely just fun. It's challenging. But um, I don't play my own instruments. Like I play someone else's stuff. Uh, I, uh, I, I'll, I test mine out. I like making sure I like where they're at. But I don't uh, like if I if I play, I like playing on other people's instruments because I, yeah, just like that's just. It's like I don't really listen to my own music. I do when I'm working on it, but I don't sit back and enjoy listening to my band stuff. Uh yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah, I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't have a night where I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do. I think a couple times um, there was an older band I was in and I happened to play guitar in it, but there was one night where I put that album on and it, it tickled me only just because I was so far removed from it. And I didn't do a lot of the writing on it. So when I, I just hadn't heard it in so long, I was like, wow, this is a freaky album, man. I think that's the only time anything musically I've worked on ever has really tickled me. But in terms of instruments that I've done or anything like that, like as soon as I'm done, I'm like, I, I want them gone. Like I, I want, I want, I, I mean, in the nicest way, like I'm, I'm done with it. I'm like, I want the customer to get it yeah. and that's it. Like my, my, I, I, I'm not, my relationship with it's over in that regard. You know, it's like, I'll be always responsible to it, but it's theirs now. It's not mine anymore. So that makes sense. It's all. I yeah. I mean, I, I will say though, I, I do enjoy playing my own guitars and, and I would, I would have more of mine if I didn't, didn't want to sell them. <laughs> The one that kept my in, my interest that I held on to, even though I stripped it down again because I'm working on the finishing off these trims to to, to try out, but it's just that one the trilogy I did, and it was just because um I just sort of just did it just to see if a little drawing I had done like in like 2014 or something would actually feel all right on my lap, and because I, I just kept looking at the render of it, you know, I was like I gotta. So my brother came to visit and I had some poplar here. So I was just like, man, since you're here, man, just have some fun. So I just like whizzed it together really quickly and just sort of put a crappy bridge on it. And uh, and I just kept playing on it every day and it just became my favorite guitar. So that's uh, so. But eventually I was like, you know, I have to take it apart to do some R&D. But uh, it was nice sort of playing on one of my own like that way because I felt totally removed from it. Yeah, your your um, your trilogy, your exalter. And I think the billiard. Yeah. Um, they all kind of like, I feel like they're all brothers and sisters. Yeah. There's a, the, the billiard and the um, exalt are a little more closely related, but definitely, yeah. definitely stemming out of just seeing what I can do with two shapes that are relatively the same. One, just a little bigger than the other ratioed up. So you got one shape. Okay. I'm going to make the other one a little bit bigger. And then I'm just going to yeah. see what, how I can turn them to make a shape that looks kind of like a guitar. You're the exalter that, that was black with the black limbo. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. That, that one like really did it for me. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's like, that's like very much a, uh, I don't know. It's like, 
It's like an explorer. Yeah. If you were like in a Picasso painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I just love that thing. I, I, and, I, and the colors were very, uh, they're dark, like my soul. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I like I like darker shade guitars, and uh, that one was that one actually that turned out really well. And um, you know, like my first um, multi scale guitar, so uh, it was it was it was yeah. Neat. The bridge on that, uh, did you make that? Yep. Wait, what are you using for? Um, is it like a sliding brass thing uh, in a track kind yep. of thing? Yeah, it's just it, all it is is like a slot board. Do they lock down, or are you just kind of, uh, or are they loose and they're just held by string pressure? They're the the ones for the guitars are held by uh, tension and string pressure. There's a little um, there's a little cam in the inside of the saddle that you squish in when you put it in, and then uh-huh. kind of like putting in a valve spring. Okay. Yeah. So then once they're in the slot, they are uh, pressed up against the wall quite sturdily, so they can't uh, they can't rattle back and forth, and then they stay oh, very very man. put. They stay, and then. On the front end is a little cap, a little cup screw, and that just uh, works it like a fulcrum, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah so that, that's really neat. It, it kind of lets you do the little fine tuned things, like say, say you want a certain string angle over your saddles that you want to maintain, right? Uh huh. And and uh, say by the time you're done the guitar, say you're like, okay, that's the that thing, but I kind of want the elevation of the bridge to be here because the customer's really used to a tunematic bridge that's set quite low. So you're okay, okay. So that means they're used to their arm, their forearm being at a certain angle relative and their palm having that distance between the top of the bridge and the guitar, right? Because some people kind of, whether they acknowledge it or not, they're actually resting on the side of the tunematic bridge. And once they don't have that anymore, they start getting carpal tunnel because they're floating their bridge, they're floating their, their palm over the bridge. So it's like, okay, I need to reproduce some things that they're very familiar with. So then you're like, okay, so that I like working with materials like that, like rich light, and some uh, composite materials because I find that you can get a really um, you can build yourself a pretty nice like inertia block and at the same time um, work as much metallurgy as you want it just to get the amount of you know metal attack that you want without the whole thing sounding like a big massive chunk of alloy <laughs> yeah because let's face it a whole bridge made of all aluminum with aluminum saddles it looks great because oh look I machined it myself and then you play it it's like yeah it sounds like a guitar with a big <laughs> alloy bridge on it <laughs> yeah so it, it's strange that way that i mean it's yes i mean if one wants to start getting specific like you said not lie to themselves it's like man this thing works well i like the way the function is i got the action great but man it doesn't sound so great and yeah. i think it's the bridge so i find you that, have a buoyancy problem yes there you go yeah. you're, you're too buoyant or, or it's just it's just so it's just something that's just not like and this, these are the things about the guitar that maybe you might not really hear through an amp, but to the player, and this is what I was saying about responsiveness, it's like, it's like um, some people want the guitar to have more of um, a spongy feel to it, a more of a resonant sort of feel to it. They want the neck to telegraph more, you know, yeah. and that, that it really makes a big difference to them playing. Even when they're playing a little louder, it's just like, I can feel this thing. It telegraphs. You can totally tell that other there's other there's other um, uh, players that actually again they they don't dig that at all. <laughs> yeah, it, the very first abstract I made um, was a it was one that had like a burl top on it, and I did a lot of chambering and put a um, a big brass block in it. Yeah. I, and I've been like itching to remake that 
since I made it because it was the most responsive guitar I've ever made. Uh, the other thing it had was a a, a one piece uh, East Indian rosewood neck. Yep. So I don't know if it was the neck or the chambering with the block. Yeah. Or all three together or what, but I've been itching to do that. Again. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what I mean. It's amazing that when you start, when you start trying to get instruments that are sensitive, um, where the player is going to be intimate with the guitar, maybe not playing at super high volumes. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, wow, everything really affects everything. It's like, it always has, but you really start yeah. noticing how much, right. Especially when you are like, wow, I actually, I think it's cool that players are getting into that thing because again, like whether, whether it's done to the nth degree or whether it's done just subtle, I like hearing the guitar sound. I don't really like yeah. hearing necessarily just the effect unit. You know what I mean? Whereas there's a lot of shred guitar players out there where it's like, you look at their picking hand and you look at their fretting hand and it's like, they're barely touching yeah. the note. It's almost like a singer who's got a very quiet voice and they have so much gain on it that it's just like, well, yeah, it's like in so much compression. It's like, it's, it's sort of like, well, can I just, I just want to kind of hear your voice. Not that there's anything wrong with what you're doing. Can I just hear right. what your voice sounds like? So I'm like that with guitars sometime. I was like, man, with all these clips, people showing the guitars, I wouldn't mind just hearing what the freaking guitar sounds like. You know, it's, it yeah. sounds like it sounds like going through a fractal through like, you know, the, the, the super, the super crazy, uh, the gent setting, you know, which is awesome. But <laughs> yeah, I almost felt like I, I hit a point where, it felt like there was so much like so much chambering that it almost vibrated back onto itself like and almost increased the sustain yeah yeah you, do you know what i mean like i i don't know maybe i'm uh uh, uh making stuff up in my head or something but yeah, uh, and, and you, I, you, know, you know how it is like sometimes it's uh your perception is not always reality yeah well it's it's a, to me it's uh the quality of the note sound to me i i try to sort of go for more than what someone would call sustain because pretty much i find that most strings on most instruments just the nature of a string sustains like there's very few things that can really dampen it so to speak a brand new yeah. set of strings so realistically it's like yeah uneven frets will dampen it a guitar made it a, of a wet towel would dampen it but essentially strings tend to sustain quite well so with that, it's like, I'm, I'm really like, I want it, like, I don't know how to say it, but like, I want a guitar note to sound like um, a crunchy bar or I, oh. I, it's all, because everything's all jumbled up in my head. So when I hear notes and stuff, like they have to be totally edible from a guitar. Like I have to, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I completely have to be able to eat it. It's food for me. Like music is food for me. And guitar music is like, is like really, really good awesome dessert and it has like a top almost like toffee or something it has there's a certain thing i'm expecting and when it's not there i'm like i'm, I'm done like i'm not i won't i'm yeah. not into it so so with the guitars it's almost like again same thing people are like why do you make these hollow necks i'm like because i'm telling you if you ever have you ever played a guitar with a neck that clucks like a cowbell like a wooden are cowbell? you making hollow necks yeah i've been doing i've been quite a few hollow necks uh pretty much like i've been curious about um chambering in necks for a long time yeah it's one thing or do you, it's one thing chambering it's another thing making it like a tempura or something where the necks basically you know it's just it's hollow i mean they make they make some carbon d tubes um you know dragon plate makes some great ones and um check those out 
uh, oh just it's carbon fiber um, yeah yeah d2 yeah, yeah. yeah. and like a half round kind of extruded yeah and they make tapered ones but i find it's a little really? uh, but yeah it's them yeah and so that's a i find that that's a good i used to make my own on a mandrel and then like years later i'm like this place dragon plate makes them so i tried a couple of those they're really great but um there's still something about uh, i want more hollow so um, i'm on way less wood so all i've some i've done in it for a few bases in the past was I just got the neck as hollow as I want before putting the fingerboard on. And then I just laid in carbon fiber and, you know, like pressed it in really good with, uh, you know, like a, a you know, uh, a clamping call and everything like that. And heated it up with yeah. a clamping call and then um, cleaned it up really, really well. And then with the fingerboard, I just did the same thing to the underside of the fingerboard. And I just like epoxy that onto the, to the shell. And I'm telling you, man, that that's still to this day, I did a guitar, a Dragon Eddie acoustic guitar like that too. That's on my page, and that thing is so light. That thing was just like an eggshell. Like it really is. That there's a black acoustic that I did with this sort of sound hole bridge, but I don't know how to say to people, man. If you were to pick up that guitar, I mean, it defies gravity. Like it feels like a helium balloon because it's. Dude. It was just even the pegs. They're like made out of like some carbon graphite. The the friction the the sixteen to one planetary pegs. So imagine that with a hollow neck and the body is basically an eggshell of like basically quarter sawn poplar. Yeah. <laughs> the entire thing. So it's just, it was so funny how light that guitar was. Just anybody who picked it up or strummed it would just give me this really weird look. Like, like what yeah. the hell dude? That's a, that sounds incredible. I'd be like, yeah, it's, it's a crazy guitar. Right. And the fact that you can palm mute the bridge and that's the sound hole means when you're playing you can like let your hand off and do all these weird volume swells while you're playing and pump it and it starts going like Whoa. a chord it makes this weird boop, 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 boop sound when you want almost like indian music so yeah i'd be playing on it and just going crazy eventually i sold it but uh you know that one was one of the weird and that one i made on my um my girlfriend's kitchen table at the time like it was just i was it was going through a stressful time we had some really crazy um, stuff that we were dealing with with um, a crazy ex of hers long story short but uh, um, yeah I didn't really know what to do with myself and you know I, was, I had my tools out at the farm and and uh, I had to stay in Toronto so I just got I, yeah I have baby spoons and I had those all sh- sharpened like 50 baby spoons from this art piece that my uncle had made for my mom and I sharpened them all and basically went at it on their kitchen table and just like hog that thing out like Whoa. a potato and that's definitely one of the best ones I've made. So it's one of the fun. It was weird that I was saying about when push comes to shove, it's, it's weird that the deeper things in us come out and uh, we realize that, man, like I just had to, I just had to up my own ante. That was the problem. <laughs> I was being too lazy. I had to, I had to work harder. I had to, I had to, I had to listen to my inner voice more and not be afraid of uh, failing. You know, I think that's great advice. Thanks so much for joining me today. 